Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today and want to give a very warm welcome to Rashab Jain. Rashab is the co-founder and CEO of Fermat Commerce, a distributed commerce platform created to allow creators to embed brand direct shopping experiences directly from their own sites. Prior to the startup, Rashab was responsible for successfully launching three new businesses within LiveRamp. He has also co-founded two other startups in solar energy and laboratory data sharing. He and his team at Fermat are working to put the power back into the hands of brands and content creators in terms of monetizing content. Today, Rashab and I are going to be chatting about the changes you need to understand about paid media and how to get influencers to better leverage your spend and ways that you can invest back into them. We'll learn what works from Rashab's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Rashab, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm excited for the conversation. Well, I love the fact that you are working to find a better way for influencers and brands to work together, right? And what I'd love to do is start off our conversation about your background and what got you here today to have decided this was your passion to follow. Oh, yeah. So I think that really, (laughs) really what drove my interest in building this business was Two, roughly two years ago, Apple made their initial announcement saying, hey, we're going to change the way that we're going to do privacy for consumers on the, on the consumer internet. And I used to work at this company called LiveRamp, as you were kind enough to introduce me on. And while sitting there, we, we had a very clear understanding of what this meant for e-commerce and for media companies. And so when I saw this change, my, my initial gut feeling was, this is going to be really tough for e-commerce brands. And my, my gut reaction was somebody has to build new tooling that allows for direct commerce to happen um, in a way in which is not impacted by these changes by the big platforms. Because otherwise, like the world we will live in five years from now is one where everybody buys everything from like Instagram and Amazon and sort of you know, medium growing merchants and independent content creators have no good way to monetize directly. And so I was like, this is a future that I don't want to live in. And hopefully there's other people who don't want to live in that future. And so I'm just going to help build tools that make it possible for people to have an alternative outside of just, hey, everything happens to the large platforms. And that's, that's really what drove the sort of founding of this business. And so with that, like, what is your vision? What is it in a world that you see where brands and influencers can be copacetic and work together for mutually beneficial relationships? Yeah, I think that what is both highly likely and possible is that fast forward four years, if you're sitting at a brand's uh, marketing department, you'll basically have three channels across which you are like managing your customer acquisition and your customer engagement. So you'll have the large retailers. So it'll probably still be Amazon. You'll have your social platforms. So it'll probably still be Instagram and TikTok. And you'll have like what I would call like direct relationships 
And this is the third bucket that we want to help participate in and build, where basically you have a bunch of independent content creators through whom you enable sales channels very, very easily. And so like, you know, whether it's us or whether it's somebody else who's helping build that third pillar for how you actually go out and acquire customers. Uh, I think from the brand's perspective, you're going to have these three pillars. As a content creator, I think that the main thing that we want to add value to is today, the way that you, you usually speaking, the way that you usually work with a brand is you say, hey, here's the flat fee for working with me. And then you have this like quite opaque situation where you don't know Am I charging too little? Am I charging too much? Uh, why is the brand not re-engaging me? Th these things become very opaque. And so we want to make that ecosystem much more transparent where everybody can understand how much value is being driven on either side. So for a given creator, they're real, let's just say you're really good fit with home goods. And so you should actually be charging home goods brands more than you're charging, let's just say fashion brands. But there's no way for you to understand that today. We, we want to make it such that like five years from now, everybody knows what they're effective at, what their audiences want. And once you have that insight, then you can actually make that ecosystem a lot more transparent and a lot more fluid. So everybody is building business together. So I think that those are like the two ways that I sort of see what is going to happen. Yeah. Fast forward five years. And, you know, I love that because we do work in influencer marketing at Hollywood Branded. And one of the biggest challenges with brands is explaining to them the value of an influencer, right? So, yeah, the first level that we always try to explain to people, you are doing the same thing as if you were to hire um, someone to create branded content at a digital or a print magazine. That's the first level that brands need to understand, that they are hiring individuals that are putting their hats on, that are the producer, the director, the writer, the creator, the filmographer, the photographer, filmographer, however, I'm just making up words now. Um, they're the um, actual actor, the star of the content. They're the editor. They're the marketer. They're the costume designer. They're the makeup artist. They're the everything that you can come up with. They either have to supply that individual or be that person. And when we're talking about smaller influencers, they are all of that rolled into one. And then when we're seeing them scale into that macro, into then even a celebrity-sized influencer, they're having people help them because it's become a true business. But the biggest thing that brands don't get, besides the fact that they're getting this fantastic content that if they negotiate their contacts right, they can reuse and repurpose, they say, how much is this going to bring me? How much am I going to make in sales because of this? And it's really impossible to quantify in unless you have the experience of working with that influencer and their stats to back it up, or unless the brand themselves are willing to micro-target and look at exactly what traction they got from working with that or another similar influencer before. So it all comes down to the data. And I love the fact that you're dialing in that data piece. So, I, I mean, so first of all, <laughs> uh, this is like, uh, you know, colloquially, I guess, preaching to the choir, but <laughs> just to, I, I would, I would not only strong agree, but I would add a couple of other points just to sort of reinforce what you're saying. Mm -hmm. First, I think that for a brand, 
they view they have this view and i don't know why because you're correct when they do their roi on their ad spend somehow the cost of the all of the creative to get to that ad has like been written to zero mm -hmm. but they don't have that mental model for when they are working with an influencer is sometimes what happens right and uh just reminding them hey actually when you do your roi calculations on your facebook spend you need to also bake in all of this other spend, even though it's not reported on on Facebook, right? So, so that's one thing that's like very useful in terms of helping brands sort of reconcile the spend and the ROI. The, the big problem, I think, for ROI and working with influencers is that today they have no good way of tracking impressions and they definitely don't have a good way of tracking sales. If it if the sale happens on any sort of platform where tracking is not allowed. So, so which I'll give you a most simple platforms, example. Which is quite frankly. Which is, which is the most platform right. at this point. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so this is like any of their reporting that they have that says like, oh, you know, this person only drove X dollars and we spent Y dollars. X is like the absolute floor and reality is probably three X because there's so much loss that happens in the measurement itself, right? And what on top of that is a big problem is that they don't actually see the impression counts very effectively. And so they don't have a good understanding of actually what has happened in this particular case is this person drove a ton of awareness for us and we just don't have a way to reconcile value added through awareness in combination with the value added through sales, right? And so I think that the, the measurement problem is like actually pretty sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, we need better tools to help people understand the measurements. Which is what you are indeed with your agent, well, not your agency, your company, you've created, you have created a tool that becomes embedded into the content that that influencer is using whether it's through a link or an actual um, embed code, so that that traction is able to be looked at and followed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we help with this problem. I, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to like talk too, like too much about, I don't want this, I don't want for people listening for this to feel like a sales pitch. Like no, that's not the goal like explain all. a little bit about what your tool does so that we can talk about the nitty gritty of, of why it's needed and what your, sure. what your goal is. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think that there's, okay. So if I were to just sort of put on my like CMO hat and I'm saying, okay, I'm working with an influencer, like there's really three funnel metrics that I care about in any sort of marketing campaign, right? The first is how many people are seeing my product that may not have seen it before, right? Because I have to drive awareness no matter what. The second is how many people create an intent for shopping. So they fill a shopping cart. And then the third is how many people transact. Today, when you work with an influencer, those first two buckets are very hard to measure because basically you're relying on either manual reporting. So like somehow somebody is like doing the work to like tell you, hey, if it's a, let's just say somebody posts on Instagram, the, the influencer or their agent has to go in and like manually look at the impression counts, manually look at the engagement counts. And that's typically how that gets reported back to the, to the CMO. Then they have to actually rely on the fact that clickouts from that post cause impressions on their page and that they're actually tracking that channel per influencer. Mm -hmm. This is a big ask for most brands, 
So most brands are using something like Google Analytics to just see how many people are coming to their page. And then they have to manually go through and say, okay, this particular link generated this many impressions on my page, therefore generated this many cart fills. People are not doing this on average. On average, what they're seeing is like, okay, this code created this many transactions. And so there's this black hole of data that exists today, usually when people are, when brands are working with influencers. And so what we do is we say, hey, let's just create a shopping experience that you can directly embed in the influencer's content. It is like infinitely scalable because the influencer is the one who sort of trivially generates that shopping experience to embed in their content. And then we give perfect visibility into the entire funnel from the moment that somebody clicks it and sees it in wherever channel they are actually posting that content all the way through to the transaction. And so both sides can now have a real conversation about where is value being added, where can it be improved if that's necessary, and actually understand the value that's being driven um, brand to influencer, influencer to brand. Mm -hmm. And so you've identified the problem that exists and, you know, and I think that there's a solution absolutely with what y'all are doing, but how can brands in other ways, besides what you're, what you're shoring up, better be working with influencers to get to that end result that they're looking for? Okay. So there's a few ways I think that are underutilized. So the number one thing that people don't utilize effectively, I think is influencer whitelisting <laughs> and, and not only like sort of simple whitelisting, but thinking about how do I construct audiences based on the influencer's audience? So the, the reason why this is underappreciated is because Apple's changes have actually made it such that whitelisted influencer audiences and content will perform better than the brand's own customer data. Mm -hmm. This is really uh, like, it's a sort of non-obvious consequence of, of Apple's privacy change. Mm -hmm. this, the sort of underlying reason is if I as a consumer purchase something after seeing an ad on the brand's website, that is data that's owned by the brand and therefore gets cut off with Apple's new privacy change. If I'm a follower of an influencer, that follow happens on the platform. So it happens on Instagram, it happens on TikTok, it happens on platform. That data is owned by the platform. And so Apple's privacy policy does not, uh, does not apply. <laughs> and so it doesn't apply, meaning you have perfect 100% attributable audience by whitelisting the influencer's audience. Okay, so what does this mean in terms of how do you strategically implement? What it means is today, every brand, they run their standard ad campaign. I'm going to run my ad. I'm going to put the Facebook pixel on my page. And then I'm going to run a lookalike against the people who buy. Mm -hmm. Fine. Actually, that has gotten way worse over the last six months. And it's highly volatile in terms of the CACs that brands are seeing. If I instead invest in working with influencers, I whitelist their content and I whitelist their audience. I spend against their audience because their audience has trust in them. And then I do a lookalike of their audience. It's stable and scalable because it is not subject to Apple's privacy policy. 
So all of a sudden, not only can you actually get better ROI for your ad spend, but you can also make it more stable relative to what you have been doing with your own audience. And this, I think, is like, I think more and more people are going to get turned on to this. And I think it's going to cause an explosion in brand influencer campaigns. And this has like nothing to do with our company. Right. This is just a strategy that people should be implementing that if they're not implementing, there's like free ROI to be getting, to be getting by doing this. Now it's incredible. And there's so many ways, and this is an incredible way to actually increase. You have the content. I mean, what you're talking about here is you, You've already had the brand work with the influencer to create this golden content that, as you said, when someone's doing a Facebook um, analysis, they're never thinking about the content creation piece, the creative part of it, the marketing part of it. And so now with a whitelisting, you're actually able to take this fantastic piece and you're able to drive more impressions, more eyeballs that are exactly within the very targeted demographic that should be appealing to this. And then you're further able, from what you're saying, is able to extend this out and reach an even larger audience that also matches all your core targets that you've set up from working with this influencer to start. And where it becomes mutually beneficial to the influencer that you're doing this is you are helping them grow their own platform and profile while you're doing this. So now you're a brand coming to an influencer, asking them to do the heavy lift of creating really awesome content for you and getting it out to their followers, but you're fully supporting them by helping them grow too. And then that's the whole secret sauce of how influencer marketing is supposed to be working. It's not supposed to be one-sided. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I hope you you won't mind me just like restating the one uh, one additional nuance that is like that influencer buying against that influencer's audience and the lookalike against that is going to be it's not only stable and performant, it is going to be more stable and performant as Apple's privacy changes impact like the brand's audience and the inability to, to actually drive ROI against that. And so I, I can't, yeah, I can't overstate this enough because I, w- I want to say like 80% of brands I talk to don't appreciate this nuance because it's so, it's like such a in the weeds thing that like, why would this audience be more stable than this audience? And it's just because of the way that the Apple privacy policy has been constructed. Because it's not your audience. It's that's exactly. really what it comes down to. Yeah. A- Apple and Google are going to demote the value of you because they're saying, well, great, you have a megaphone and you're shouting about it yourself. It's, it, but they're looking for third-party validation, really. And so they're looking at the associations and it's not coming from you. So they actually rank it better when it's coming from an outside party versus what you're doing yourself. That's what you're saying, right? I'm saying not only that, but also there this like ATT problem where they're saying like, hey, because of a, you, you shouldn't track users from one website to another. Right, can't chase them around the web anymore. Exactly. So because of that, you won't, you won't even be able to find that same user again anyway. Because they're whereas, so locked down. Whereas influence, exactly, whereas the influencer's audience is all within the platform. And so buying against it is 
is is like way more scalable and more stable. Like Apple can't do anything about that. No, no matter what they do, they can never prevent you from using that channel. And so, yeah, it, it's like now is the time to invest in that channel. <laughs> and so that's the whole thing. So you as a brand have spent all these years building your following. And we know that when you put a piece of content out there that less than 6% of your follower base actually sees your content unless you boost it because Instagram, Facebook, Meta, whatever we want to call it right now, they want the warm feel of dollars coming into their own pocket. They believe that they should be making the money from any eyeball that is seeing your content, even if you have built those followers yourself. So they're going to reward you, however, when you actually put more dollars into their platform and Apple can't keep you from doing that. So instead of trying to chase someone around all these different platforms, now the advice that you're giving is just double down in the platform you're in. And, and specifically on influencers audiences on that platform. Yeah. 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 So it's all becomes a triangling triangulation specific to the brand, the influencer you're working with, the platform you're on and keeping it very siloed to that focus. So if you have an influencer posting on meta, you have an influencer posting on YouTube, you need to approach both of those in the same way where you're boosting specifically core to yes, through yes, those yes. platforms. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah, exactly. And do you have like, from you're a paid ad specialist, you have so much knowledge there from your experience. When you're talking CPMs, you're talking about working with an influencer and typically influencers, you're looking at $750 to $15 for just a general post. A lot of times what we end up seeing with a CPM, it can scale up depending on the level of it, add celebrity into it, three times as higher. But when you're looking at that initial content generation versus the post, what is the difference in costs that you're looking at from boosting content you've already had versus, hey, let's just go find another influencer to make the same content or more content? Okay, got it. So generally speaking, I think that the strategy that works best for most brands is uh, like influencers and content creators, like you talked about earlier, they're actually very good at making compelling content, mm -hmm. right? And it's just some of them you may feel like work better for your brand for whatever reason. Um, some of them work not as well for your brand for whatever reason. I think that you should definitely work with a like reasonably sized set of influencers and do the organic push. But I think that once you do the organic push, I think that doubling down on like four or five who are doing, who like seem like they're doing the best. I wouldn't be too mathematical about it either because actually it's not obvious always that the correlation is like one-to-one, -one. Right. but I would, I would select some set of those to like meaningfully put spend against mm -hmm. and drive against this, like, uh, it, like this audience look alike strategy. So I would per like the people who do it best definitely do both. They definitely spend on a pretty large set of influencers. And then they definitely also increase spend where they think that there is going to be a good outcome in terms of putting paid media behind it. And it is loosely, but not firmly attached to like, how does that, how did it work when they were doing it organically? Okay. 
And so what else can brands and what should they be keeping in mind as they're doing this? Of working I with think, influencers in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think that the, uh, like another sort of thing that is like not obvious at, at face value is when you're working with an influencer who has like a, like their own website as well, like there's this strategy of driving people from the influencer's content on platform to their website and then creating the transaction on their website. And this actually is very common with traditional media. So a lot of brands will like basically put spend against an article that was written by like, let's just call it uh, like some sort of listicle, right? Like best five best chairs or whatever. And so when you do this loop of like, there's a post on, on platform that gets redirected to an article, it goes into more detail in the article and then you purchase, mm -hmm. even though it's more clicks, it actually creates a higher conversion rate. And so another sort of nuance to think about is if this content creator or influencer is somebody who happens to also have their own website and they actually do a, like a really good job of like articulating the reasons why they love this product in sort of a combo of written word and video, the conversion rates can be incredibly high. So I actually, there's a brand who uh, is in the home goods category who worked with this influencer and did this loop strategy. And they drove, I mean, they drove very good ROI and they drove a meaningful amount of their GMV. So they drove order of 50 to $100,000 worth of sales per month using this strategy. And they were able to do that profitably for that level of, of sales volume from a single influencer's content and sort of blog article. Okay. And so with all of these things, you're talking about just how you can further expand, further leverage, further bring in awareness to that individual and create legs to support overall. Exactly. And ultimately what you're saying is brands maybe should be getting a little bit more comprehensive in their partnerships versus trying to just do a very top level of, hey, here's an influencer creating content. Hey, here's an influencer creating content. Hey, here's yet another influencer creating content and create a multi-pronged approach to your influencer marketing that is worthwhile to actually build out um, software like what you all offer and to take the time to invest in that so that you actually have a partner that you're building in the influencer instead of just a hey that was april and now we're doing something different in june exactly exactly and i think that the i think that the toughest thing is because there hasn't been a lot of other data to work off of a lot of people have ha like have had to make decisions of just like it drove this many sales or or not and so then they've become very black and white in their view of whether or not to work with influencers but and i can understand that while facebook and meta ads were doing super well so five years ago call it right there was just like you could scale incredibly on on meta ads but i think now that the ecosystem is shifting so much <laughs> i think uh, first of all, more and more consumers want to shop with influencers. And second of all, yeah, regular paid ads are just not performant. 
I think that not investing in the influencer strategy and being holistic, like you said, about what are the ways to get leverage out of how you work with your influencer partners. I think if you're not doing that, I think you're setting yourself up to have a very, very difficult time over the next two to four years. And then what else should they be keeping in mind? I love that question. I'm like, and what else? And what else? (laughs) No, no, no. I I think that the other thing that I, uh, I mean, this is like a totally separate domain, but I think that the other thing that a lot of people are like, so a lot of people are experimenting with TikTok, right? So I think that that's like a big thing that people talk about. And a lot of people are specifically experimenting with like sort of micro content creators on TikTok. Um, And I think that that's like, it is possible to drive a lot of impressions. I would say that actually what I have heard from most brands is that it is not obvious the correlation between the amount of views that you get on TikTok and the sales that you generate. Whereas on Instagram, it is much more, you do get better uh, like sales out. And so like something that's worth thinking about if, if, you know, if you're sitting in the CMO seat is like, what am like, what am I using TikTok for? And, and am I actually getting what I want out of it uh, versus what am I using IG for? I wouldn't do a simple, like a simple trade of budget, which is, which is what's happening at a lot of brands who I talk to where they're just like, saying, hey, I'm just going to remove budget from this, from, from Facebook, and then start doing it on TikTok and, and like, figure out TikTok. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's going to be super effective. Right. Uh, or I've not met many brands who have experienced that that is effective. And so what else? So right now, let's take a quick break and just how can people find you? If they're like, you know, what is this whole, you know, platform that they keep on dropping in and talking about? How can people find out more about it? Yeah. So I guess the easiest way is you can, I mean, you can just email me. My email is very simple. It's just my name, rishab at firmatcommerce.com. And I'm more than happy to, to directly connect with people. Um, and I'm also like more and more active on Twitter if they want to connect on Twitter. I know some people prefer that. So I'm just at Rishabh M. Jane on Twitter. Perfect. That's easy enough. Yeah. What else do you think that brands need to know about to avoid colossal mistakes within this industry? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that the, the one thing we haven't talked about much is just sort of like, uh, yeah, tr- trusting the the ways of doing business in the past of just like, hey, I'm just going to sort of blindly put spend like into into Facebook and then just let it ride and see what happens. Um, I I I think that you know the more CMOs I talk to, they're becoming more and more data savvy and more and more in the weeds on the specific strategies that they're deploying. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to stay on top of what's happening. And so I think like the biggest mistake to avoid is I, would, I wouldn't I would sort of do like a, hey, just put budget and then set it and forget it. I, I would really think uh, a lot about how do I make sure I understand where, like what is driving the acquisitions and how do I make sure that I can actually scale up that channel because... Yeah, Facebook is, all of these platforms are just going to get worse at the way that you used to do business. And so 
uh, I would just spend a lot of time digging in and making sure really understand what these like privacy changes are going to cause and then thinking about like we've been talking about content channels where you can have a more direct relationship with your consumer so that way you can build out your understanding of that over time so that's like the yeah that's sort of like a way of saying what is the biggest thing to avoid right now Any other thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Uh, no, I think I, I think we covered actually a lot of ground <laughs> uh, in, in, in the time that we had. Uh, yeah, and at the risk of at the risk of being repetitive, if I were to just synthesize in like one sentence, mm -hmm. I would say like now is the time to think about your content strategy and within that, content strategy, how you work with influencers and other forms of content, and figure out what are the tools you need in order to measure and manage such that a consumer landing on any form of content that you are partnered with is actually, you're, at, you're able to understand their journey and double down on the ones that are working. And so that's sort of like my quick synthesis of, of I guess, what we talked about today. Yeah. And I think, uh, and that all supports in of making sure your brand messaging stays accurate, that what you're designing with these influencers um, supports your overall campaigns. But at the end of the day, if you're not looking at ways that you can better amplify, better extend, better leverage, you're leaving a lot of the power of influencer marketing on the table. And I think that Rashab is that the ethos of what you're doing is you're trying to make sure that there's nothing left in the unknowns so that you can truly have the insights and the data to make smart calculated decisions with those partners that you want to work with versus the partners who might be not as well balanced in the spend that you're actually doing. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. I love chatting with you because I always like talking about all things influencers. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great, Stacey. Really appreciate it. Of course. And to all of our listeners, if you are interested in ever having a conversation about what influencer marketing can do for your brand, I am all here to be able to lend an ear and chat and give you some insights um, and also talk to you about other ways that you can extend in pop culture, like through product placement and strategic partnerships and capsule collections and fashion designers. And the list goes on. And there's a lot of different types of ways to leverage influencers in general. So reach out to Hollywood Branded. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Good job. Thank you. Everyone have a great week.